Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is back in the news as it appeals against the SEC and gets sued by FTX. Plus, the White House is monitoring the situation at Silvergate and why a judge has stern words for the SEC in the Voyager bankruptcy case. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. I'm joined today by Aaron Woolman from RenGen and Jake Boyle from Caleb Brown. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Lots to discuss here again today, but first, let's take a look at the latest price analysis. The total crypto market cap is down 0.7% today on CoinGecko. Bitcoin is in the red for the past 24 hours, as well as the last seven days. The current price of just is just under $22,300, uh, close to a monthly low uh, where we're trading right now. It's a similar story for Ether. It's down virtually the same amount in percentage terms as Bitcoin on a 24-hour and trailing seven-day basis. One ETH is changing hands at about $1,560 right now. Analysts at Matrixport, cited by Coindesk, say ETH call options are looking attractive right now. In a note to clients, Matrixport suggests selling Bitcoin options to buy Ether options with the, quote, potential, profit potential quite strong, close quote. One other token we're looking at right now is XRP. It's one of the best performers today, up 3.5% in an otherwise negative market. This comes after some rulings in an ongoing lawsuit with the SEC, which were deemed favorable to Ripple by some analysts. Okay, viewers, join in the conversation. Put down your questions in the chat wherever you're watching. We'll ask the best ones on air later in the show. Remember, Real Vision members take priority, but the good news is that Real Vision membership for crypto is free. With that said, let's bring in our guests. Aaron Woolman is portfolio manager at RenGen, a crypto trading firm, and Jake Boyle is director at Caleb Brown, a crypto-focused personal brokerage. Let's start with the big picture. Aaron, first to you, what are your thoughts on this market? I think this is a really tough market right now. Uh, you know, we've seen price action remain pretty decent. Uh, however, I think the macro backdrop, as cliche as that kind of remains to be, uh, is is difficult um, and presents some headwinds. So, hey, what's that mean, Aaron? What does the macro backdrop mean to you? Uh, why does it present headwinds, and what are you seeing? Sure. Well, I mean, uh, simply put, you know, crypto is a long duration asset tends to benefit from lower interest rate environments. Uh, you know, even today, right before the show, we're seeing some uh, conversation out of the Fed 
saying, hey, you know, we may need to go hire for longer, right? Uh, any so, of so the idea here is you're in a period with inflation that's persistent that doesn't seem to be responding to monetary policy. You may have a Federal Reserve that is, in effect, forced to keep interest rates higher for longer. Yes, thank you. Sorry. Uh, and all of that presents headwinds to the sector, uh, both, again, you know, as a, a quote-unquote long-duration asset that simply reacts well to lower interest rates, uh, as well as uh, from like a functional standpoint, when traditional very safe yields are high in the real world, uh, you know, crypto, which tends to be a little bit more dangerous in terms of its yield generation or in terms of the risk that you have to take to chase that yield generation becomes less attractive. We're looking at a shade under uh, 400 basis points, just under 4% on the 10-year treasury right now, trading on my screen at 3 spot 964, uh, reading that off the CNBC website. Uh, Jake, jump in. Thoughts on this market more broadly or on the macro context? Well, I think Aaron summarized everything quite well there. I think the only thing I would really add would be consumer sentiment. Uh, what we've seen is we've seen colossal contagion events damage the space, particularly over the course of the last six months post FTX. Curiously, though, Bitcoin's volatility hasn't been anywhere near as vast as what it was some months ago, in spite of you know the Silvergate news and various other contagion events really hitting the industry quite hard. My takeaway from that, uh, particularly dealing with our clients around the world, is that a lot of the investors who had lost confidence in the crypto ecosystem, they're probably already sold by now. And the reality is that a lot of people now are looking at the market and they're holding on for dear life, looking for some positive sentiment, something to celebrate, something to see as a win. Um, fortunately, there are some nice news items that are coming out. But for me personally, seeing the Silvergate news come about and Bitcoin still holding that 22, 23K kind of range, to me, that suggests that the majority of damage is done and now we're in that position of simplicity and just waiting to see what happens next with our major regulatory decisions. Hey, talking of which, let's get some of the news flow out there, talking about some of these headwinds out in the space. Uh, let's take a look at our top story. It's a doubleheader for Grayscale. Bankrupt crypto exchange FTX says its affiliate, Alameda Research, is suing lots of parties. Grayscale, its CEO, Michael Sonnenschein, Grayscale's parent company, DCG, uh, and its CEO, Barry Silbert. Grayscale is the operator of GBTC, the largest Bitcoin trust. Alameda alleges Grayscale has been charging, quote, exorbitant management fees, close quote, in its suit. It also says that Grayscale has, quote, for years hidden behind contrived excuses to prevent shareholders from redeeming their shares, close quote. FTX says if successful, the lawsuit would unlock $550 million of FTX assets. It would also unlock at least $9 billion for the wider market. This according to FTX, a Grayscale spokesperson told Coindesk that the lawsuit is, quote, misguided. They said, quote, Grayscale has been transparent in our efforts to obtain regulatory approval to convert GBTC into an ex exchange-traded fund, an ETF, uh, an outcome that is undoubtedly the best long-term product structure for Grayscale investors, close quote. Uh, and speaking of that effort, Grayscale has a court hearing today to argue against the SEC's decision. They are still seeking to block Grayscale's attempt to convert the trust into an ETF. That, of course, uh, an SEC uh, position that we've heard a great deal about. By the way, I should say in full disclosure, I think I own about five uh, shares of GBTC right now. It's worth less than 100 bucks, I think. Uh, Aaron, Jake, this is an ongoing issue that affects multiple parties and key players in the crypto industry. What do you make of all this? First you, Aaron, jump in. 
Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that it's really interesting to see that, you know, as you mentioned, both of these uh, two aspects of the case are proceeding at the same time, both Grayscale uh, directly against the uh, SEC, as well as now having FTX and Alameda kind of jump into the fray. And while FTX and Alameda aren't directly going after the SEC, their case is indirectly doing the same thing, the same argument that uh, you know Grayscale is presenting as well. What I think could be really interesting is that while the courts may not really care, or definitely the court of public opinion may not really care uh, about whether Grayscale is able to convert the trust into an ETF, uh, the fact that we have uh, the claim of harm against so many kind of innocent retail investors uh, making its way through, you know, that could potentially sway things. Certainly, I think with a, you know, with the trust, a discount to the net asset value is, is justified. Uh, but, you know, a 40 to 50% discount seems quite large. Uh, and it certainly feels like people are positioning themselves now uh, you know, to take advantage of that reverting, you know, maybe uh, to like the 15 to 20% area. And certainly if they can convert to an ETF, uh, that could get much closer to flat. Jake, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think first of all, it's, uh, you know, Alameda suing Grayscale. It's a lot of consumers are probably going to think it's a calling the kettle black there to a large extent. At the end of the day, retail customers and investors are the ones that have been hit the worst throughout this whole FTX and consequently Alameda fiasco. Um, and to be able to see Alameda going after Grayscale in this capacity, it does seem like the accountability can is just getting kicked further and further down the road. Other regulatory news with regards to Voyager and Binance kind of also uh, raises that point. Let me jump right in there with that story yeah. here because we've got some news flow on this as well. Uh, obviously, other bankruptcy news. Coindesk reports a judge in the Voyager digital bankruptcy case has criticized the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. The judge says he cannot wait for the SEC to clarify its arguments as to why Binance U.S. should not be allowed to buy Voyager. An attorney representing the SEC made a claim this week that Binance U.S. operates an unregistered securities exchange, which Binance U.S. objected to. The judge claimed that the urgency of the bankruptcy process means he cannot wait endlessly for regulators to hash out their position. This is a quote from the judge, quote, I have no idea how long I can do nothing and wait until Congress and competing regulatory authority sort amongst themselves. Just who has what authority over what aspects of this, what kind of authority? I have no idea how long that's going to take and what we can do, and we can't do that in a bankruptcy case. The judge has also ruled that any token issued to help repay Voyager creditors should be exempt, exempt from any enforcement action by the SEC. Uh, additionally, the judge said that the SEC's position would, quote, leave a sword hanging over the heads of anybody who's going to do this transaction. How can a bankruptcy case or any court proceeding function with that kind of suggestion? Close quote. That's according to Bloomberg News. I wanted to just touch on one other story here on Silvergate uh, while we're talking about this. Uh, new news flow there as well. The White House press secretary says the White House is aware of the situation at the crypto-friendly U.S. bank Silvergate Capital and that it is monitoring the situation. Silvergate continues to fight for survival amid an excess of capital and potential pending litigation. The press secretary at the White House said, quote, President Joe Biden repeatedly called on Congress to take action to protect everyday Americans from the risk posed 
by digital assets. Not exactly crypto-friendly comments there, I guess one could argue. Uh, Jake, jump back in. We were talking a little bit about this. What's happening at Silvergate? What's happening in the Voyager lawsuit? Uh, and the questions that the judge is addressing with regard to the SEC. Okay, there's a lot to cover there. Um, so I think, first of all, starting with Voyager, uh, the real concern that comes to mind here is you know, what happens to the customers and the investors at the end of the day? It seems that amongst this regulatory mess, if you want to call it that, the consideration of making investors whole as a foundational goal does not really seem to be on the forefront of anyone's mind. Uh, the concern being that if mediation can't resolve in an outcome to which someone is valuing those Voyager assets and doing something to be able to give uh, a value towards them for the shareholders and towards anyone who is using the platform, that to me is quite concerning. Um, you know, regulation, in my, my two cents in the subject, is that it should be consumer first, particularly for a nascent asset class such as cryptocurrency that is as risky as we know. Uh, so for that not to be the case is something that does bother me. Uh, but diving into Silvergate... What, what's, what specifically is it that bothers you, Jake? Well, it seems that post there was such a regulatory environment that was pro-FTX for such a large period of time, and so many investors and people who are trying to do the right thing and pioneer in the cryptocurrency ecosystem feel so burnt that our, our company was able to grow to such a side, size with so much regulatory support whilst running a fraud the entirety of the time. Um, and now what's happening is people are burnt by virtue of that fraud unfolding. And those same regulatory bodies now are in a position where squabbling over all these kind of fine details and these fine technicalities. But at the end of the day, for a company like mine, we've got customers who may have had assets on FTX. They may have invested in some of these firms or lending platforms, and they're calling us up saying, hey, Jake, when is someone going to talk to me about my assets and, and my investments? Yeah, by the way, someone just pointed out in the comments that uh, Alameda is also uh, in the process of uh, suing Voyager as well. There you go. It's it's. It, it's it's almost comical at the point where there are so many people pointing fingers and everyone's getting sued and everyone's being investigated. But at the end of the day, how many millions of customers across the US and the rest of the world um, have to refinance their homes as a result of this, have to take out high interest rate loans to pay for their cost of living um, because they were subject to what is a case of fraud. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a very sophisticated legal party. But in just reviewing this article from Bloomberg about what the judge said here, uh, my interpretation of this, maybe this is incorrect, uh, is that the judge was essentially saying, look, we, we can't litigate and regulate uh, in this case. We've got creditors that need to get taken care of. And here, uh, that seems to be the argument that you're making as well, Jake. Well, my understanding is that mediation is the next step. So what the outcome of that is to be, I'm sure we'll all hopefully find out sooner rather than later. My main concern is that this just stays in the courts for such a large period of time that uh, by the time any outcome is made, it could be years and years down the road. Me mediation between FTX uh, and, uh, in, and, in, and in this case, Voyager, is that what you're saying? 
Uh, more so concerning Voyager and any capacity uh, for their assets to be acquired. And of course, FTX involvement with Voyager, which because right now the, the issue is that no one's going to want to touch Voyager because there's a knife dangling over your head if you engage in any capacity of talks with the company. Yeah, and I think that was the judge's point. Aaron, jump back in here. Uh, see if you can provide a little clarity. Zoom the camera out 50,000 feet uh, if you could, because I know we're getting lost in the weeds here. Uh, obviously, this is a very complicated case or series of cases, I should say. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to add some perspective, I think from uh, maybe like the traditional finance world, a lot of the discussion that I've been hearing lately about uh, Voyager, somewhat about Silvergate, um, really has kind of uh, other portfolio managers conjecturing that the SEC is trying very hard to stay in the gray area. Uh, and the reason that they're doing this is that they are uh, wary of going after something, taking it into a court where things can really be defined in a precedent set that maybe affects like a ton of other SEC uh, potential enforcements or paths forward. And so I do think that uh, one, the judge in this case uh, is wise to be pushing for uh, clarity for consumers. But I also think- You're, ta you're talking about uh, specifically the Voyager bankruptcy and uh, Binance US's attempt to acquire that company. Correct. Uh, you know, But I also think that there could be an added benefit in terms of uh, anything that the US regulatory system itself can do or, or even the US court system, uh, you know, to kind of force the SEC into defining, uh, you know, what it's looking for um, and not just kind of trying to hold people in the gray area is a benefit to both uh, consumers that are trapped in the bankruptcy process as well as crypto users overall. Talk a little bit about those consumers who are trapped in the bankruptcy process, uh, what their goals might be here, uh, and how you see that context unfolding. Well, uh, I mean, simply put, any consumer that's trapped in the bankruptcy process is, is looking for clarity and obviously the, the return of their funds, right? Um, they, you know, uh, as, as Jake pointed out earlier, uh, you know, there may be significant financial hardship as a result of this liquidity lockup of assets being in, you know, in bankruptcy. Uh, even if they're able to be recovered, if it takes five to 10 years, uh, you know, that's capital that people can't use for other investments, uh, you know, living, uh, any, any, you know, education um, and whatnot. So the quicker that people can get a resolution, uh, the better it's going to be for them, obviously, as a whole. And you're referring specifically here to the Voyager case or more broadly with FTX? I would say for uh, FTX as well. I mean, I mean, anyone that's trapped in any type of bankruptcy proceeding uh, as a customer, especially a retail customer, you know, uh, clearly wants resolution as quickly as possible. Right. And, and the, the challenge here, it seems, in addition to the, all the usual competing claims that you have in bankruptcy, you have this regulatory overhang. Uh, and I think that's what the judge is objecting to here, uh, this idea that uh, SEC is putting forth the argument, as I understand it, which is the same perfectly, uh, that Binance US, according to the SEC, is an unregistered exchange and therefore does not have standing uh, to attempt to acquire these assets. At least that's my understanding of the case. I know it's, it gets very complicated very quickly. Um, Jake, let me flip this back over to you. I know we were talking a little bit off camera uh, about what's happening over at Silvergate. What's your take on Silvergate Bank at this point? 
Well, look, things aren't, are not looking good for Silvergate at this point at all. Um, I think that one of the foundational issues, and this is more you know, zooming out a little bit here, is that the idea of crypto banking and the idea of one bank specifically operating for cryptocurrency-related clients uh, is fundamentally flawed. We see across major banks around the world have exposure to numerous sectors. So the idea of being solely exposed to crypto seems tremendously high risk. And the concerns with Silvergate seem to be evidence of that. So, you know, moving forward, and if there is to be a recovery of cryptocurrency banking, if we are to call it that, I believe that it needs to be a standard set whereby traditional banks can bank the right cryptocurrency businesses. Of course, it's going to require difficult criteria, consumer protection standards, know your customer and so on. But ultimately, we need a fiat on and off ramp for major crypto businesses. And if we do not have that, then it's the wild west yet again uh, with stable coins and altcoins and uh, companies that are operating offshore and the likes of that. So I think that's a, the main kind of crux of my concern, but also where I think the future could potentially be positive in some senses. Hey, Jake, let me ask you two questions with regard to Grayscale. First, you said uh, that it does not look very good. Uh, give us a little bit of context on why that's the case. And second, uh, give us this, the case for what you foresee happening in the space if, if there are continued challenges with Silvergate. Uh, sure. So um, for Silvergate, it's, it's not looking too good uh, in the sense where, look, for the last six months, we've seen numerous deposits and major companies no longer using uh, Silvergate as a primary bank or a bank that they use at all for that matter. I mean, even us at Caleb and Brown, we have an account with Silvergate. We have accounts with banks all around the world. And it's been a long time that we, we haven't actually had a balance with Silvergate. We don't use the bank fundamentally. The concern there naturally is going to be that if a bank cannot get deposits and if it cannot get large companies and corporate accounts to transact with them, then, I mean, it's all fairly black and white and bleak in that sense. So I, I hope that things turn in that capacity and I hope that the bank is fine, much like I hope that all crypto businesses are fine. And uh, apologies, I've forgotten your second question that you had there. Well, what are the implications uh, if this continued dark outlook that you've articulated for Silvergate uh, continues? I think the, the dark outlook would be that largely banks become more averse to banking the cryptocurrency space and thus the infrastructure is no longer as useful for cryptocurrency consumers, investors and traders. At the end of the day, we need to be able to have a way to get your US dollars, your Australian dollars, your British pounds into your bank account safely because you've got bills to pay, you've got expenses and customers shouldn't be alienated from the cryptocurrency space if they are uh, operating with traditional banks and vice versa. But I think I wanna give a bit of optimism on that. At the end of the day, you know, Silvergate's exchange network was a good product. It's game changing for the ecosystem. We By the way, really for those who don't like know, that. The, the SEND, the Silvergate exchange network that you're referring to here was a, a pathway for institutional investors to uh, make payments 24 hours uh, a day, seven days a week uh, through a system uh, that was proprietary to the Silvergate bank, obviously something that functionality that wasn't replicated elsewhere in the space uh, and an important piece of infrastructure that's now no longer operative. Oh, thank you for that. I should have clarified that myself. Um, but look, what I would say there is the technology was sound, but there are problems with the business that fundamentally use that technology. We can be pessimistic about it. We can see it all as doom and gloom. But at the end of the day, it was only a handful of years ago in the ICO boom that we saw ERC-20 tokens and ICO cap raises, which were fraudulent scams and ridiculous. That doesn't mean that ERC-20 token technology is fundamentally bad. In fact, there's been tremendous use cases that we've seen. So that's the same approach that I see with the uh, SEN technology here. 
I want to bring Aaron back in. Aaron, any thoughts on Silvergate uh, before we move on? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, Silvergate has a number of issues facing it. Uh, I think the biggest right now is a crisis of confidence. Um, you know, as Jake pointed out, uh, you know, if no one wants to use a bank and they have no deposits, uh, you know, they're going to have trouble uh, staying in business. And that means that we could see Silvergate seized uh, by the United States government. Uh, their collateral ratio is pretty low. Last I looked, in terms of the amount of uh, you know cash they have on hand for deposits, this was exacerbated somewhat by the fact that Silvergate did make a mistake by holding some of its assets uh, in securities like bonds uh, that were not quite as short duration as they needed to be. And so, what happened? Uh, you know, bond prices move inversely to interest rates is they purchased uh, securities where they thought that they would be like a safe store of value. Uh, as interest rates continue to go up, the value short-term uh, or in the present moment of those securities went down, right? And so as Silvergate had to raise capital to redeem depositors, uh, they essentially had to sell some of those securities at a loss. That also exacerbated the situation. I do think that, um, you know, Silvergate is an interesting business. Uh, and I, unfortunately, uh, this is conjecture on my part, think that some of the accusations that have been made against Silvergate management will keep them from being acquired at least pre-bankruptcy, uh, you know, potential pre-bankruptcy, bankruptcy rather, uh, from someone else like maybe Bank of New York Mellon, uh, which could be, uh, you know, potential acquirer in terms of someone that's already kind of playing in the space from a custodial standpoint. Uh, why do you see that? And you say pre-bankruptcy. Uh, give us a description. Obviously, we should point out Silvergate is not in bankruptcy, not currently in bankruptcy. Uh, wh what do you mean by that? Sure. Uh, yeah. And, you know, to clarify, uh, we don't know if Silvergate will go into bankruptcy. I should say, should they head there uh, right. if, you know, uh, if liquidity for them continues to be a, a concern? Uh and what I mean is that uh, there may be acquire, potential acquirers who view the business as very attractive. However, they might be reluctant to purchase that business knowing that they would also be taking on any of the liabilities uh, that may have been accrued by current or prior management, right? And so uh, I think that for people that are interested potentially in the business uh, as both investors or acquirers, uh, they have to be patient right now to see what happens. And unfortunately, that patience only adds to the kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of, uh, you know, like a run on the bank or liquidity cascade that continues to hurt Silvergate. Well, obviously, we have to be very careful when we're talking about this uh, here to uh, not imply uh, anything beyond what we already know. But let's talk about this as a general proposition without specificity here uh, to Silvergate. Why is it as a general proposition that banks are more interested in acquiring assets after a bankruptcy rather than before, as you alluded to, it's protection uh, from, uh, from some of those uh, potential bad debts. But explain a little bit there about what that means and what the implications are for the acquirer and the acquired. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I think simply put, uh, you know, in a general sense, again, uh, no conjecture about, you know, Silvergate or any accusations about Silvergate. Um, but in a general sense, uh, you know, if I'm buying a business and that business has not gone through a bankruptcy process, 
once that transaction goes through as the buyer and I, you know, once I own that business, I, I, all the liabilities of any previous actions continue and now fall to me, right. As the owner of that business, uh, you know, certain aspects of the bankruptcy process and I am not a bankruptcy lawyer or bankruptcy expert. So, you know, I won't go into detail there, uh, you know, can kind of wipe the slate clean, so to speak. And so we, as a buyer, you want to remove any potential liability from the actions of management or previous owners or previous employees that were not under your control, right? Like you don't know what's in the closet. Uh, even after going through, uh, you know, maybe a lengthy due diligence process, could you be a hundred percent sure uh, that you may not face, uh, you know, like some type of devastating lawsuit or news that comes out about something that you didn't uncover. And right now, I think um, it's just too difficult for, uh, you know, for or in many cases, it's too difficult to, you know, to remain generalized uh, for people to justify acting until they feel like that slate has been wiped clean. Let's move on to a couple of other stories here. We have multiple interesting stories about NFTs, starting out with this one. Crypto publication The Big Whale says in an exclusive report that Amazon will launch its own NFT marketplace next month. The Amazon website will feature a tab called Amazon Digital Marketplace that will appear on the U.S. website on April 24th. The tag will then be added to other regions later. Again, that's according to crypto publication The Big Whale. Moving on to France, AI and NFT artist Claire Silver has announced her next collection will feature in the famous Louvre Museum in Paris. The collection titled Love in the Fourth Turning will premiere on March 21st. Clever, clever name there, referencing presumably the Neil Howe book of the same name. Staying with France, famous French luxury brand company Hermes has filed a lawsuit in New York the brand is seeking to prevent NFT artist Mason Rothschild from selling or promoting his Meta Birkin NFTs. The collection is based on Hermes' iconic Birkin bag. Last month, a jury ruled in favor of Hermes for a trademark infringement. The company is now asking for Rothschild to transfer any Meta Birkin NFTs in his possession to an Hermes-controlled wallet. And finally... Yuga Labs has revealed it generated $16.5 million in sales of 12-fold Yuga's first NFT collection on the Bitcoin blockchain, 288 pieces auctioned off with the highest bid of $160,000. Gentlemen, any thoughts on these NFT stories? Well, I'd, I'd say you bet you're building a bear market, right? And Personally, I think it's quite nice to see that there are people who are trying to innovate the ecosystem, particularly when trading volumes have, uh, there was a bit of a spike the other day, but prior to that, the last nine months, 12 months, it's been quite bleak for the NFT ecosystem. So seeing Bitcoin ordinals, um, some further utility or use case there, uh, paired with Yuga Labs making further investment into the space as a major leader of the industry. and. Uh, other companies like Hermes also, uh, for the better or the worst, making making sure that their brand and how they're seen in the NFT or Web3 ecosystem is to their liking. I would say that it's all a positive. Uh, we haven't really seen all that much happening in the ecosystem over the last year on a mainstream level. Um, and now it's starting to come to the mainstream a lot more. And I'd say that's a positive. Aaron, any thoughts on these NFT related stories? Sure. Uh, I think the Amazon thing is pretty interesting. Uh, under the under the surface, 
Uh, I have some questions and potentially concerns. You know, that article does go on to say that Amazon's going to be using a non EVM compatible chain, which is to say that, uh, you know, the, the Amazon chain, so to speak, which will be hosting or, you know, uh, where these NFT transactions will be settled. The EVM will not be is the Ethereum virtual machine. So these are not going to be running in a standard Ethereum virtual machine. Correct. Uh, and so I think. For me, the, the the biggest question is, you know, is this strategy for Amazon a kind of like tacked on strategy of, hey, we have to do something with NFTs, which I feel like so much of the quote unquote web two world has done so far. Uh, you know, basically uh, it's like, you know, having a, a home project that you need to do and you need a hammer, you go to the hardware store and there's like a shiny new saw uh, in the lobby of the hardware store and you're like, man, that saw looks so cool. We got to get one of those. And you go home and you're like, what are we going to cut? Uh, and I feel like so much of the, you know, the NFT kind of like mania and hype, especially with web two is basically like that same thing with a shiny new saw. Right. So to me, it's going to be really interesting. Has Amazon really thought through a way that they're going to integrate NFTs uh, into their platform or where this marketplace is going to be integrated into the community, or is it just this kind of like bolted on thing where they can check a box and say, we're doing NFTs too. Well, I love a shiny new saw as much as the next guy. Hey everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Uh, I know we're going to get to some viewer questions in just a second. I can see them pouring in here. Uh, but I also, before we do that, want to take a look uh, at some uh, a clip. Uh, we want to show viewers a clip from the latest CIO sessions here at Real Vision. This is where Real Vision Pro crypto members get access to strategies that professional investors use to navigate the crypto space. You can sign up at realvision.com. Uh, forward slash pro crypto uh, to access these institutional grade videos. Here's a snippet from it right now. Yeah, I do think you have to start with inflation and I have strong views and, and I, yeah, I understand it's, it's hard to engage because people are really vocal on both sides and, and, you know, right now the loudest macro pundits, at least the ones who have increased their volume in the last few weeks are the, are the ones talking about the Fed being back behind the curve because of this resurgence, resurgence in, in inflation. And, you know, that's really scary because that, you know, then we're going back to the, the whack-a-mole Fed who's just going to, you know, crush markets or at least cap all, all upside. Uh, for me, I think inflation will continue to normalize in, into this summer. And and arriving at that view does it requires a, a, a pretty granular approach um, to modeling inflation. In my career, I've had the benefit of um, uh, trading a lot of inflation products and, and doing that requires kind of figuring out, you know, all the actual modeling, all the subcategories and aggregating that to a, a fixing model. Um, on the other hand, I'd say the core of the, you know, inflation acceleration arguments are they're a bit they're they're based on these hand wavy macro models, which you know they haven't really been relevant in, in about 50 years, and and you know some in some ways you feel validated by last year's inflation, or you're just willing to say you know this time is different. This is the most unique cycle we've had in a long time. So of course you know the models which are relevant, um, you know models can be relevant that weren't relevant. Before and I'd say there's two, there's two main arguments that, that come up a lot. One was that there was, um, you know, there's just too much stimulus, and now you have this inflation problem which can't be put back. And, and I think 
that actually misses quite a bit of, of what's going on. Okay, once again, you can sign up for that at realvision.com forward slash pro crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash pro crypto. Okay, let's move on to some of our viewer questions. Looks like they're coming in fast and thick here. Uh, this is from Ralph on the Real Vision website. Ralph is one of our regular viewers. Elon Musk can raise money to buy Twitter, but crypto companies are not rallying to help Silvergate. Any thoughts on this? Uh, Aaron, I think this may uh, come back to some of the points you made earlier. Sure. Uh, well, you know, the first thing I would say is that Elon Musk was able to raise money to buy Twitter by pledging personal collateral, right? So uh, I'm sure that if the CEO or, uh, you know, the organization itself had a ton of extra collateral, they would be happy to pledge it to, to raise money. If they needed to do so, they also probably wouldn't need to raise money. Um, I do think that we have seen uh, some some articles recently in the, in the news about George Soros taking a large position and Silvergate from the long side, as well as Citadel. Um, and I would be cautious about reading too much into that as those either one of those players being a white knight. My guess, and again, this is complete conjecture, is that you know Soros is looking for a short squeeze. Uh, and my other guess would be that Citadel is using those shares to manage either market making or options trading positions. Jake, any thoughts on this question? I think every industry needs a hero. Uh, and you know, as you kind of just mentioned, Elon Musk has personal collateral on the line. So it's a lot easier to have further investors flock towards you. Uh, cryptocurrency doesn't really have that knight in shining armor. Uh, the media at large positioned SBF as that individual only a year or so ago. And as a result of that, we're kind of left in the ruins. Um, you know, CZ is a polarizing character and loved and hated by many and most. But we don't have an Elon Musk in the cryptocurrency space who is going to come through and have that kind of legitimacy put forward to the consumers and other businesses who will support saving those companies. And by the way, we mentioned in an earlier story uh, that uh, that basically right now Binance is being challenged in federal court for the acquisition of assets from Voyager. Uh, so it doesn't seem likely that they would be throwing their hat into the ring on Silvergate anytime soon. Yeah, exactly right. It's when, if you're a large company in this space and you've got a business that you're taking care of, you're going to be hit by a bear market. You're going to be hit by Bitcoin trading in the $20,000 range instead of the $60,000 range. Is it going to be on the forefront of your mind to be looking out for other companies? Probably not. So I think that's just the dilemma that we currently have. Okay, here's an interesting question that comes to us from Vincent on the Real Vision website. Thoughts on the delay of the Shanghai upgrade, which now overlaps with the Mt. Gox unlock? Any thoughts on the Shanghai upgrade to the Ethereum network? Yeah, uh, I mean, these delays are, are, are frequently announced, right? Uh, we want to make sure that they happen correctly, like, you know, these upgrades happen correctly. Um, you know, the, the Mt. Gox, uh, you know, unlock, so to speak, may also be delayed. Uh, to me, these seem like more uh, potential, you know, trading events than they are any type of like long-term uh, structural uh, issues with crypto. If anything, I would say long-term structurally, they're tailwinds, not headwinds. You know, getting the Mt. Gox tokens unlocked and kind of out into the market, getting past that is, is a positive. Um, and all of the roadmap for ETH, in my opinion, is also very positive. Jake, any thoughts on uh, the upgrade to Ethereum? 
I, com I completely agree though. I think that at the end of the day, infrastructure and technology is one thing, and that needs to be viewed at from a long-term fundamental approach. But obviously being cryptocurrency trading 24 seven, all of these delays and all of these market headlines are a fantastic event for anyone who's day trading in the ecosystem. Personally, I look, I look beyond that. I'm, I want Ethereum to succeed and I want the infrastructure to be, to be sound. Uh, and if that means that things be delayed, then I think that's just a part of commerce and business that uh, all companies and innovative sources of technology will experience. My God, it's been nearly a decade since Mt. Gox collapsed. It's February of 2014. I mean, it's just been dragging on forever, hasn't it? Well, as someone who actually used Mt. Gox some time ago, it's uh, it was basically half my life ago uh, then. So it's it's one of those <laughs> things where I just I could never see a situation where that's something that we look at as a past event. Um, but look, you know, as mentioned before, I think that when the day does come, if the day does come, that that is something of the past, that's a positive for the space. It's one less thing for short-term traders to be concerned about, and we can move forward to better subject matters. Uh, here's an interesting story talking about more current bankruptcies uh, from Mr. Ali on YouTube. Four U.S. senators called for an independent examiner of FTX, and a judge ruled a few days ago denying it, saying costs would exceed the needs of the creditors. Any thoughts on this? Go ahead, Jake. This one's all you. <laughs> I thought you might have liked that. Look, I think the FTX fiasco is as unpredictable as ever. And look, at the end of the day, I think that, uh, look, creditors are wanting to be made whole. There is so much uncertainty and news coming out. Like This is not a bankruptcy like any other to a large extent. There is news coming out uh, that is beyond ridiculous. And as a result of that, I, on my end, I kind of just hope that we can get some degree of clarity on what actually happened first. Because as far as I'm concerned, we still don't really know where the root cause of issue was, what happened on this day. There's so much hearsay involved and everyone's suing everyone. Until we let the dust settle and get some actual clarity and a benchmark of actual facts, I can't really comment on anything else until that day comes. Well, gentlemen, we've covered a lot of ground here, a lot of complexity, a lot of court cases, a lot of legal battles, lots to talk about here. Uh, obviously, a great conversation. Give us your final thoughts, key takeaways uh, from each of you. Uh, first to you, Jake. Well, I guess a key takeaway looking to the year ahead is to focus on technology and focus on building infrastructure that ensures consumer protection uh, and it also protects businesses that operate in the ecosystem, whether that's banking, uh, whether it's if you want to look in areas of lending, if that's what you're interested in, or whether it's just the foundational standards of the progress of Ethereum and Bitcoin and the likes of major currencies in the ecosystem. If people who are building and investing in the space look to focus on longevity as opposed to short-term headlines and short-term trade opportunities, then perhaps we'll be better set forward to grow beyond the kind of bad reputation, which I think cryptocurrency has landed itself in having recently. Yeah, that's very well said. Aaron, final thoughts, key takeaways. Sure. Uh, from a trading standpoint, uh, well, first I'll say that I, I do believe that the, the bottom of this cycle is in. Uh, that being said, I think that at least for the next three to six months, uh, the markets are going to continue to be quite choppy, uh, and they're really going to be a place for really, uh, you know, professional or semi-professional traders that are focusing really on events. 
um, you know, to be to be active. And for people that are much longer term investors or interested in technology, I think now is a great time to enjoy some time outside. Uh, you know, take your long term your long term plays. Spend more time watching Real Vision and reading up on the news, and you know, keeping keeping up with uh, the things that are happening, but not spending too much time, uh, you know, executing orders. Well, I couldn't possibly disagree with that. More time spent watching Real Vision is always time well spent. Aaron, Jake, pleasure having both of you with us today. Great conversation. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Cheers. That's it for today. Michael Del Castillo from Forbes will join us live tomorrow. Make sure to check it out at realvision.com as well. We have two important two-part series called How to Un-F Your Future. It features some of the most visionary thinkers and investors we know. This week, we'll be exploring all the ways in which we're all effed, featuring Raul, Dario Perkins, Frederick Niebrand, Peter Zihan, and Alex Gurevich. In week two, we thankfully move on to the solutions. We'll leave you with a trailer right now. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern time, 5 p.m. London, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Have a great afternoon, everybody. If we want to change the outcomes for this really screwed up world, where our wages don't go up, where we're being replaced by technology, where governments are massively in debt and we foot the bill via taxes, where we see debasement of assets so we can't afford as many assets as we like. So the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. If we don't like to see the rise of populism based on this broken society because the promises of the future have been broken, let's make our promises to our future selves come right. And that's by unfucking your future. Some of this is going to really f*** your future in 20 or 30 years' time. But we've got time to figure that out, because it's unstoppable. Mm -hmm.